We're going to begin our service tonight with number 417. Behold the amazing gift of love the Father hath bestowed on us, the sinful sons of men, to be called the sons of God. Let's stand, please, as we worship. Well, it's so true, the words of that final stanza emphasized in our hearts, a hope that we have that is so great and it's so divine, may trials well endure. What does that mean? Well, may we take the trials that come to us through the normal course of life. May we take them and place them in perspective, place them in the right view. And the right view is this, the inheritance we have is so great, it is so divine, it is such a, an amazing gift that the Lord says to us, you have received this gift and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There is that upon the believer's life. So, with that in mind, we are able to take and to go forward from grace to grace and pray that each day we will be strengthened with might in the inner man. And that's the great joy we have of knowing and walking with Christ. Let's bow, please, before Him now in prayer. Father, what a great hymn this is that we have been able to sing. It so captures, Lord, the experience that we have had of redeeming grace, the experience that we know of sins forgiven, 
of the knowledge that Christ Jesus is alive in our hearts and alive forevermore. And we know that because He lives, we shall live also. And Father, the hope that we have is not temporal. It's not something only connected, Lord, to this life. But we have been given the very greatest gift, the knowledge of everlasting life, so that, Lord, when we come to the time of our death, we know it will be absent from our bodies, yet present with our Lord. And Father, though we await and would expect the coming of our Lord Jesus, and we would pray to that end and say as John did, even so, come quickly, Lord. For the hour is late, it seems, and the issues of this world are disastrous. And, O oh God, we pray that in the meantime we will walk in obedience and faith, and we will continue, Lord, to be a light that shines in a very dark world. We know, Lord, the light is not of us. We are reflectors of the light of Christ. And we want to be that, Lord, with not any hindrance. Let there be no spot or obstacle that would take away from our shining forth for the Master. Lord, hear our prayer tonight. Draw very near to us and help us in this evening meeting. Lord, I pray there would be a blessing that is just suited for every heart. Indeed, the Spirit of God taking the Word and writing it upon our minds, and that we would have the application of that truth so that we will be changed from the inside out, more and more made like our Lord Jesus. And Father, teach us what it means to be able to bear up under the trials of life, to always keep them, Lord, in perspective to the great wonder and gift of Calvary and where we stand in light of the cross. And let us not ever have that obscured from our minds, but help us to walk, Lord, as being living examples of the believers. As we were thinking this morning, Father, about what it means to be an ambassador filled with gratitude for all that You have done for us, Lord, that we might say to the world by our very life, come and see, come and behold what great things our God has done for us. Unworthy, Lord, as we are, yet we have received much. And we know, Lord, there is yet much more. You have promised to us things beyond our understanding, things we have not ever seen. And yet, Lord, we know that You've reserved for us in glory a place where we will be with our Savior forever and ever. Dear Father, I pray that in the meantime, as we were thinking this morning about those who go through this life with many heavy burdens, physical burdens, they have sickness that is baffling to the medical field, but, Lord, it is no surprise to You 
And therefore, we pray that you would come very near and, Lord, place your hand of healing upon our people and specifically those who are suffering. We're thankful that Glenn McFarland was in the service this morning. And dear Lord, we pray your hand would be upon this man and you would touch his body and help him and be with his wife and their family. Lord, we pray for a serene again that your blessing would be on her, Lord, to help her. We pray for Ron and for Richard. Remember Duncan and Joan tonight. Remember, Lord, the many shut-ins. Lord, we hold up again our brother Stephen Hamilton, praying, Lord, that he would know your presence and help in this hour of his need. Bless the congregation in Lehigh Valley. And Lord, be with them at this time. And remember all of our churches that do not have ministers at this time under shepherds. Lord, supply their needs. So give us help, Lord, tonight in our evening meeting. We commit every detail into your hand. And then also, Lord, as we gather after the service for a time of of singing and of worship, that our hearts will be filled and that the name of our Lord Jesus would be glorified. Lord, as we look forward in a week's time to our congregational gathering each night for prayer, Lord, go in front of us. We know that in a human sense we can organize some meetings. We can make plans and preparations. But, oh God, we want this time to be a time set aside and devoted to our God that as we meet for prayer that our hearts will come with those burdens led by the Holy Spirit and that each of the areas of ministry that we focus on, that we will come with earnest hearts. We will know what it is to get through at the throne of grace. And Lord, it might please You to grant to us all that personal reviving drawing nearer and nearer to our Lord. Father, take use of us. Make use of us, we pray. Take us up and let us not be at all cast aside or cast down. Let us encourage one another along this journey and this road. So hear our prayer tonight, Father. and Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We will continue in our praise of the Lord tonight. Again, please, number 299. 299, we will stand to sing.
that you are not so familiar with. As a matter of fact, I don't remember ever singing this hymn out of our book in any of our services. At least I mark all the hymns in my uh, copy that I have in my study. And of all the hymns that we sing in this one, well, it was not marked, but it's a good hymn. It's an old-time hymn, and it's a very good one as it admonishes us to uh, look unto the Lord and to take that time, and we encourage not only as we look, but we will say to others as well, look to Christ. We are the signposts. We are the reflectors, and we are the ones to make that appeal. Life is offered unto you, hallelujah, eternal life your soul shall have if you only look to Him, look to Jesus who alone can save. This is the good news. This is the gospel message. And let's sing this final verse. can be seated now when the story of the conversion of C.H. Spurgeon, it's quite interesting, he was, well, heading to a certain church on a very snowy winter evening in England, and it was such a bad storm that he could not make it to the place he was going, so he turned into a little chapel, and there was hardly anybody in the church, because no one else could get there either. In fact, the minister never even turned up. And so there was an elder there, and he faithfully did what he could, and he brought a message from the book of Isaiah. And as he was stumbling through that word, Mr. Spurgeon was sitting up in the balcony, and he said to him, young man, look, he said, look to Christ. And that's all he said. And that was the way and the means the Lord used to draw that man to the Savior. And if you know anything of the life of Mr. Spurgeon and the 66 volumes there are of his sermons, let alone all the other books that he wrote and the preaching that he did and the souls that were saved through his ministry, God uses us, the weak and the foolish and the simple things of this world, to do a work for Him. And sometimes, friends, you might wonder, I'm not doing much for God. But who knows but that little one in the Sunday school class that you have given the Word to. And you don't know where the Lord will take that little one. You don't know where that witness will go. So therefore, be faithful. Continue on. Don't give up. And don't think for a moment that your witness is so small that God would never make use of it. No, no, He will. He has promised. And so let's be encouraged by that. Turn please with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. We have two readings tonight, 
this one in the congregational time and then before the message, and both are taken from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 52. We'll pick up our reading at verse number 7. It talks here about how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those that bring good tidings. And that word good tidings is mentioned twice in this verse, and it is the message of the gospel. It is the good news. And so, those who are the messengers to bring the good news of the gospel, and the Apostle Paul picks up this theme also in Romans chapter 10. And he says about the blessing of those that are God's faithful servants and messengers to take the gospel message forward. But of course, ultimately, this is a reference to our Lord Jesus, for He is the one whose feet are beautiful as He walked on this earth and as He communicated by His life and His preaching the great message of salvation and, of course, by His death. Isaiah 52 and verse 7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice. With a voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord hath comforted His people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. Go ye out of the midst of her. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go out by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rearward. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. May the Lord bless His own precious and holy Word to our hearts tonight. And as we share with you 
from another portion of Isaiah tonight. These two passages will link together, and I trust the Lord will use them in our hearts and draw our spirits out to Him. Welcome to our service this evening. Very, very glad that you are here. I want to encourage you as you've come to the Lord's house tonight uh, with a prepared heart to receive His Word. And as you're here, you encourage others who are also here. It's not the nicest of time to be out in a cold winter night, and yet what better place to be for a Lord's Day evening than in the Lord's house with His people. So we certainly give you a warm word of welcome. And to those viewing our service online tonight, we want you to know you're also very, very welcome with us. Mentioned this morning about our prayer for Reverend Stephen Hamilton and his health needs. And do please continue to pray for the Lord's servant as he is facing problems health-wise that the Lord would be very, very near to him and others in our congregation. And I mentioned this morning, and we had Glenn McFarlane, who attended our Sunday school many years ago, and their family, they moved away. We sort of lost contact with them. But um, Glenn is very ill with cancer, and we pray for him and pray that the Lord would comfort his heart and be near him at this time. So I know he'd greatly appreciate your prayers as well. And the others that we remember continually in our congregation. Joan McCurcher has not been well for a couple of weeks. She's been really bedridden, and uh, Duncan not well either. So we're holding up these folks before the Lord and others as well. It's great to see Serene in the service again today. As many times as she can, she gets out to the Lord's house, and it's a blessing, Serene, to see you. And we hold up our sister before the Lord and want to continue to do that. Remember, after our service tonight, we will be gathering around for a time of worship and singing to the Lord and singing your favorite hymns and songs. So please wait behind if you can. Wednesday night, our Bible study and prayer time at 7.30. and encourage you all to be here on Wednesday night. And please also pray for the congregational meeting in Port Hope on Tuesday evening. And the next Lord's Day, our Sunday school classes starting at 9.45, 9.50, but be here at 9.45. And from the youngest boy or girl up to the oldest, we have classes for everyone. And mentioned this morning, and I encourage you again, that as these meetings are going on in the congregation, uh, there is something for everyone. And we don't want you to miss out. If there's a service or a meeting going on, you be here. You be in your place. Because as you do, the Lord will encourage your heart. He will take His Word. He will write it upon your mind. And you will be encouraged. So you come along and be with us. As we think about that, in an advance announcement for not starting tomorrow, Monday night, but a week Monday, we'll begin our congregational week of prayer. It will go from Monday to Friday from 7.30 to 9 o'clock, and uh, on the Wednesday evening, we'll be hoping to have some a fellowship time afterward, and so we just make some preparation, and also on Friday night, those two evenings, nice if we could do that. Um, do we have something special for you on Thursday evening? 
We're going to be having a report from regarding our school ministry. Each night of the week we'll be zeroing in on something special, specific about our work. And Thursday night we want to devote to our school, to Whitfield Christian Schools. And so we have some of the representatives from the school are going to be coming and just sharing their burden about this ministry. So we're looking forward to that each night. And you set that aside in a week, a week Monday. There are a few pens left at the back and some of the magnets with our motto text on it for the year. If you'd like to get one of those, will you take them, please? We want to make sure they go out and people have them. Let's sing again to the Lord's praise now tonight, number 407. 407. And we will stand again as we worship. <clears throat> That is good singing tonight, and you're warming up yourself 
for our singing after the service tonight, and that is very, very good. Turn now to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah 41, at verse 21, reading down into chapter 42 and verse 4. The Lord says, Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the King of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Behold, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught. An abomination is he that chooseth you. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come from the rising of the sun shall he call upon my name, and he shall come upon princes as upon mortar, and as the potter treadeth clay. Who hath declared from the beginning that we may know, and before time that we may say, He is righteous, yea, there is none that showeth, Yea, there is none that declareth. Yea, there is none that heareth your words. The first shall say to Zion, Behold, behold them, and I will give to Jerusalem one that bringeth good tidings. For I beheld, and there was no man, even among them, and there was no counselor that when I asked of them could answer a word. Behold, they are all vanity. Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment 
unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Let's bow, please, before the Lord in prayer. Father, we have the Word open now, Your holy Word. And I pray again that we would be instructed in the way of righteousness. There would be great clarity in the Word of God. And Father, we would know beyond any doubt the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts and writing on our minds truth. Lord, what about those who are unsaved, either in our service tonight or watching online? Or perhaps someone who will view this service at a later time. Is it not time, O Lord, to break through in salvation? Is it not time, Lord, to open the hearts and the minds of those who are still in the bondage and darkness of their own sin? O God, let us be a witness and a light. Bless our congregation. Bless everyone here this evening. And Lord, instruct us in the way that we are to go. Give us understanding. Sometimes, Lord, it seems that the Word is confusing. We don't understand fully what it means. But I pray, Lord, that with deeper study and the illumination by the Holy Spirit, we will have understanding. And Lord, teach us and make us good stewards and good workmen. We know how to rightly divide the word of truth. Hear our prayer tonight. Give me strength, Lord, I pray, and help in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The opening phrase of verse 42 or chapter 42 and verse 1 is a text I want to leave with you tonight. Behold, my servant. The book of Isaiah deals with the history of Israel and their captivity because of idolatry. But there are many direct and indirect references here to the coming of Christ and His mission and life and what He would accomplish, what God had indeed intended for His only begotten Son. The dependence of Israel upon idols had become intolerable before God. They had taken up the idols from the nations that were around them. They had, in fact, exchanged the true and living God for that which was made of men's hands, either a tree or a stone or some other image 
that they had raised up and they began to exalt and to worship those images. They gave, in one way, a lip service to God. So it wasn't that they were completely closing God out of their equation of worship, but it was that they were mixing the two together. They were taking something of God's Word. They were making sacrifices. They were burning incense. They were going through all the rituals of a religious kind of an observance. But at the same time they were giving that to God, they were also taking the worship of idols. So there was a syncretism that they were involved with, which of course the idea is so reprehensible before God to the idea of just allowing the worship of Him to be mongrelized into something else? No, friends. That is never accepted, and it had become intolerable to God. The lip service that they gave to Him, it only showed that their hearts were far away from the Lord. They worshiped these false gods. And, of course, they worshiped themselves because they indulged themselves in their own worship. They indulged themselves in what would make them feel good, look good, and also enjoy the pleasures of the flesh. Now, God, through Isaiah, gave them many, many warnings. And in chapter 41, He challenges the people to present in a form, a legal argumentation before God. As if they were in a court of law. Look at verse 21. Produce, God says, your cause. Bring forth your strong reasons. And then right on the heels of this, it's followed by the Lord declaring to them, that their wisdom, their ability to show what had happened in the past or what was going to happen in the future by the gods that they worshipped, by their dependence on other deities, was completely vacant and void. If they indeed depended on these gods, if they were gods on their own, their claims were preposterous. But God said that they were indeed worse than nothing. They were less than nothing. And they could not answer a word, no matter how many counselors, how many wise men they raised up. Look at verse 28. It says, for I beheld, and there was no man, even among them. And there was no counselor. And when I asked of them that could answer a word, behold, they are all vanity. Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. But here, friends, is the great mercy of the Lord. But here, at the conclusion of God, laying them bare for their abject poverty 
of trying to produce even the simplest of things. They could not tell what had happened in the past, nor could they predict or tell what was going to happen in the future. God was just taking them apart piece by piece and laying it all out before them to see, see, do you look and see how vain and empty and full of vanity you are? And most of us at that point would have left them and said, we're done with you and move on. But what does the Lord do to those who are blind, to those who are foolish, to those who are filled with their own sense of importance? My dear friends, it's the same thing that the Lord has done for us. He has given His grace. And look with the opening verse of chapter 42. What does the Lord say? Behold, my servant. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard. And a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. And what God the Father has just done is in the great presentation of truth, of his love, of his mercy, of his kindness, when the people had gone down such a bad road and they had done all they had done in the face of the living God, He said to them, Now I will show you My servant. I will show you My Redeemer. I will show you the Messiah. And He presents to them His only begotten Son. And I pray tonight, friends, as we look at these verses that we will see again our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father's appeal to behold my servant. And dear friends, I say to you tonight with all my heart, if you are outside of Christ, if you are not born again of His Spirit, you're watching our service tonight online, and it just may be that you have tuned in by accident, as you think, just by chance. Well, I say to you that there is a message of life. There is a message of hope. There is a message of everlasting salvation because God the Father has said, Behold my servant. Behold my Son. And as we think about this tonight, I pray that God will use His Word and speak to our hearts. The first point is this, Behold, God said, My servant, who is the object of the Father's great delight? The object of the Father's great delight. In verse 1, He says, In whom my soul delighteth. Imagine the Lord saying this. God is talking about His soul. 
He's talking about who He is in the very depth of His being, the God of heaven and earth. And the Lord is saying to us, I want to tell you in whom I have delight, in whom I have appreciation, in whom I have great fondness. He is my servant. The essence of a servant is one who surrenders his own will to that of the Master. We have many examples in the Scripture of those who were faithful servants in a human context. I think of Abraham's servant. His name was Eleazar. He was the chief man in all the household of Abraham. He was, at one time, Abraham said to the Lord, I have no son. Am I supposed to make Eleazar, who is the chief steward of my house, is he to be my heir? Is he to receive all? Were the promises to come to Eleazar? And the Lord said, no, I have yet a son for you. But Eleazar was a very exalted person in the household of Abraham, a faithful man. Everything that Abraham possessed was in the hands of this loyal and faithful servant. And we have other illustrations in the Scripture of those who faithfully fulfilled that calling that was upon them. And the Savior when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, in the throes of great anguish, when the pressure and the persecution was upon him at that time, he was bearing the weight, the weight of our sin upon him in the garden. And he said, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. That is the very heart of what it means to be a loyal and a faithful servant. And here, the object of the Father's love, the object of the Father's delight, is in His servant, whom He refers to here as His only begotten Son. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 18, we have the words, well pleased, in whom my soul delighteth in our text. Matthew chapter 12 is looking back to this very portion in Isaiah, and the Father is well pleased with His only begotten Son, whom I uphold. This is support or stand beside, but we also it, see it means to lift up, to exalt. He says, this is mine elect. What does that mean? It means that the servant of Jehovah is the chosen one by the Father to fulfill the purpose of God the Father in the salvation, in the judgment that shall go out across this world in salvation. 
I wonder, friend, tonight, can you say of Christ that He is your delight? If you have been saved by Him, then I trust and pray that that will be our our daily expression of praise to Him, that we will say, yes, the Lord Jesus is my great delight. I have no greater delight. All the things of this world might bring us some happiness, a measure of it, and the Lord has blessed us with so much in this world we can be thankful for, but never let us allow the things of this world to encroach in upon the delight that you and I are to have for our Lord and Savior. It can be obscured, you know. Yes, we can, by our own carnal thinking, at the times when we maybe have fallen away from the Lord, and the Savior may not be the chief delight of our hearts anymore, or at that time. That can happen when we grow cold of heart, when we stop reading the Word, when we stop communing and fellowshipping with our Savior, then we can grow cold toward Him. Ah, that's a shameful thing. Dear brother and sister, never let that be the case that would be our description of our life or our communion with the Lord. Let us always be prepared to say, as the Father did toward His Son, He is my chief delight. He is my great delight, the delight of my soul. But I want you to also notice here, behold my servant, the Father would say, the recipient of my Spirit. You might think this is a little strange, but he says, behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my Spirit upon Him. I have put my Spirit upon Him. What does that mean? It's difficult for us to fully grasp this because we know and believe that the Son of God is God the Son. The Son of the Father is equal with the Father as the Spirit is equal as the Father and the Son are, they are of the same essence. Of the divine nature and Godhead, they are all equal. But very clearly, the Lord has in His Word shown us the distinction of the office between the Father in the person of His Fatherhead, the Son of God in the person of who He is as the Son, and the Spirit of God in the ministry that He has to fulfill. And so, what does it mean when the Father says, I have put My Spirit upon Him? Well, we will quickly fast forward to see when was the fulfillment of God the Son becoming the servant of God the Father? When was that really realized? It was realized, my friends, in time when Christ was born in Bethlehem and God the Son was incarnated into the humanity, into our human 
frame. And as the Lord grew in that human frame, in the great wonder of the incarnation, ah, friends, when God became a man and He began that journey from which He will never retreat from. For when Christ took on human flesh, He continues to be to this very point in time, if we could use that in a heavenly perspective, He continues to be both God and man, two distinct natures in one person forever. And why did He do that? He did that, friend, so that you and I today would know what it is to be saved from our sin that you and I today will know what it is to have eternal life, that we will not be cast off in hell forever, but that we will be forever with our Lord in glory. This is why He did this. And when it says that God the Father put His Spirit upon Him, this took place in time and we look at Matthew's Gospel and chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Turn up there for a moment. Verses 16 and 17. And Jesus, when He was baptized went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And as the Holy Spirit descended upon Christ, it was, in a sense, the inauguration of His earthly ministry. And He began at that time to preach the gospel. And He began at that time to reveal His heavenly Father and the will of the Father as the Spirit of God in that physical demonstration came upon the Lord Jesus. It was in time when this occurred. Ah, oh, but friends, in the substance of this, we read in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2, "...and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him." the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And that prophecy in Isaiah 11 verse 2 connects directly with Isaiah 42 and verse 1, and then also fulfilled in Matthew chapter 3. These things are a great wonder. And the Spirit was upon Christ Jesus without measure. 
in John 14 and verse 14, not only does Christ Jesus possess the Spirit of God, but He identifies the Spirit's ministry of glorifying the Son. In John 20 and verse 22, Christ breathed on His disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And so as Christ has the Spirit of God in fullness upon Him, He then gives and gave the Spirit of God to His people. Behold My servant, who is the object of the Father's delight. Behold My servant, the recipient of the Father's Spirit. And friend, in the third place tonight, behold My servant, His silence. Look at verse 2 of Isaiah 42. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause His voice to be heard in the street. We are told in Isaiah 53 and verse 7 that as a lamb before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And this tells us that Christ would not cry out during the time of His great suffering. He would not speak any vile words against those who unjustly took Him and beat Him and judged Him to be a wicked man, a blasphemer of God. He would not cry out when they were whipping Him, an innocent man. He would not cry out as they nailed Him to a cruel cross. No, He would be as silent as a lamb. He would not cry out. He would not speak out. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 32, we have the account there of the Ethiopian eunuch. He had been at Jerusalem for the time of Pentecost. He was heading back to Ethiopia, and in his chariot he was reading the prophecy of Isaiah. But he didn't understand what he was reading. And God had providentially turned the feet of Philip, left him from preaching the gospel in Samaria, and told Philip to go down to the desert because God had a job for Philip to do. Friend, if the Lord redirects your steps, don't be all flustered about that. But trust to the leading of the Lord and wait upon Him. He's got something for you to do which you might not know of at the time. And so Philip, as he was being redirected by God, he met up the only guy in the whole desert. Here's this Ethiopian man in a chariot, and the Lord said to him, Philip, go and talk to that man. And so Philip goes up, and here's this man reading in the middle of the desert, and along comes this stranger. Oh, do you know what you're reading? 
And well, no, the man said, how can I know if I don't have someone to tell me? And he is reading exactly in the spot where we are told, as a lamb before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And the Ethiopian wondering, who is the prophet speaking about? Because God had already been working in the Ethiopian's heart. He had already been in Jerusalem. Maybe he had heard something, but nonetheless, he has, he has the scroll of Isaiah. And he's reading what the prophet says. And he wants to know, who is the prophet speaking about? And just Philip at that moment is able to say, I can tell you who he's speaking about. I know it's the Messiah. It's the Messiah the Savior. And Philip began to preach the gospel to him, and that man was saved there and then because he had received the servant of Jehovah. He realized then that it was the Lamb of God, the one who had suffered on Calvary's cross, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament types and shadows, and there he was, the silence. And yet God had already spoken and said, this is the mark. This will be the evidence of who my servant is. He will be in silence. Ah, friends, the wonder of God's holy Word. Isaiah wrote this prophecy 700 years before Messiah would come. 700 years, he writes before, of what would transpire on the cross. And Isaiah 53 is so detailed to reveal the wonder of what God said of His servant. He will not lift up His voice nor cry. He will go as the innocent Lamb he will go to the cross, and there He will suffer and die for His people. And there, friend, Christ has suffered for us. He suffered there for you, friend. Have you reached out to receive Him yet? Do you know Him as your Lamb, your Messiah, your Savior, and your friend? Behold, my servant's silence. And then in the fourth number tonight, Behold, my servant's compassion. Come back to Isaiah 42 and verse 3. We're told a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. The compassion of the Son of God, of our Savior to us. Is there anyone that has greater compassion and mercy than our Lord? His mercy for us and to us is higher than the heavens. It is deeper than the sea. It is broader than the very expanse of the universe. In Psalm 103, verse 11, it says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, 
So great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. Oh, what can we say tonight of the compassion of our God toward us? What can we say of the mercy that we have received from His hand? Thou hast in love to my soul delivered me from the pit of sin. Is that what He's done for you tonight? If you are a born-again believer, indeed, that's exactly what He has done for us. He has taken us out of the pit of our darkness, the pit of our sin, the pit of our desperation, and He has placed us upon the rock of everlasting salvation. So we know tonight that He is ours, that we are His, and we are told that He will not break a bruised reed. That expression, bruised reed, is used 28 times in the Old Testament. It also means those that are oppressed or broken and, of course, bruised. You know, friends, we can be thankful to God tonight that in the time of our great weakness, in the time when we have perhaps strayed away from the Lord, He comes back to us again with great compassion. And if you feel yourself tonight as just a bruised reed, a reed is a very tender and fragile a piece of vegetation, and your fingers can just crush it so easily. And when a reed is bruised, when it has been crushed, it has no more strength to stand up, and so it just falls over. And yet the Lord says to us, He will not despise a bruised reed. He will have compassion on us when we are in the height of our weakness and we would be cast aside and not used and discarded by everyone else, but not by the Lord, for He is so merciful to us. Our Savior is so compassionate to us. And we're told that a smoking flax, He will not... <clears throat> extinguish. He will not put out that which is just giving, oh, a, such a slight indication of any heat at all, of any ignition that's taking place, a smoking flax so dimly burning. Sometimes you and I feel that our testimony for the Lord is so faint, so weak. Are we giving out any light at all, Lord? Are we giving out any heat at all? Is there any indication that there's life in us? Thank God our Savior sees us and He knows us. And even when we are at the lowest point of our Christian testimony, uh, when we have almost, it seems, gone out, our Savior, the servant of Jehovah, is so compassionate to us so merciful to us. Sometimes we 
also are very misunderstood even by those that can be near to us. But be encouraged, my friends, tonight. Be challenged because the Lord understands our hearts and He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we're going through. And He is our merciful Redeemer. Behold, my servant's perseverance and His power. For we are told in verse number 4 that He shall not fail nor be discouraged till He have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for His law. He shall not fail. What a great truth that is of our Messiah, of our Redeemer. The work that He came to do, the will of His Father, God Himself said He will not fail. Sometimes people think that God's purposes can be thwarted. That when Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden sinned, God had to come up quickly with some kind of a remedy for that problem. But our God, being infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, the one who knows the end from the beginning, did not have to scramble to come up with some idea of what He would do. But He was very clear that my servant, He will not fail in what He sets out to do. And Christ determined not His own will, but the will of His Father. And He would not fail in the purpose that He planned to bring salvation and to bring many sons to glory. And we are the living witnesses of that today. For if any one of us could have failed, all of us would have failed, because we are weak in ourselves. But Christ determined that when He died on Calvary, He died for His people, and He died with a purpose to accomplish and bring in all of His own. He would not fail in His ability to deliver from sin and from the power of temptation. And believer, that's where you and I can come back and rest our full weight upon our Lord Jesus. And we can rest in Him. And we can trust in Him. And not be discouraged or set aside. Our ability is very empty. But when we turn ourselves to the ability of Christ, He is almighty. And we may rest in Him. He will not fail. He will not lose any one of His own. Those whom He shed His blood and died for to save, we will persevere unto the end. That's the promise that God has made. And we shall overcome all of our enemies because Christ Jesus has overcome all of His enemies. And we are told in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8 that when Christ comes back to this world again, that the devil, the Antichrist, the man of sin will all be destroyed by the, by the power of the Spirit that flows from the very mouth 
of Christ. He is our great conqueror, our great victor. And we have, my friends, no need to be afraid tonight. What will this do for us? As we look to Christ in every changing scene of our life, will it will help us. He will be our guide and our stay for every need. He will help us, friends, for every single conflict that we have. And He is our joy. And He is our triumph. Soon enough, believer, we will behold our King. We will see Christ and we will be made like Him for we will see Him as He is. And I ask you the question tonight, will you be there? Do not be tempted or deceived by the evil one that you can wait and just check it out at the end. You're just going to wait until you die, and then if all this is true, then you'll reach out and receive Christ. Then, no, friend, you will not do that. You will not do that. And the account of the rich man and Lazarus that is told us in the New Testament is very, very clear. There is no second chance. For if there had have been, that rich man would have taken it in a moment. But this life, It's the opportunity that God has given to us. And I encourage you tonight, and I say to you, lay hold upon the Lord. Call upon Him now while He is near. For now and today is the day of salvation. Now is the day of hope. And for you, the gift of life. If you don't know Him tonight, I encourage you to wait behind after the service I'd be happy to open the Bible with you and show you how you can know that you are truly born again of His Spirit. Maybe you're watching online tonight. There's an email that comes in the front or will come up on the screen. Uh, Reach out to us. Be happy to communicate with you and to share with you the message of God's full and free grace. The Father says tonight, Behold my servant, Mine elect, in whom I delight in. He is my answer to the need of the human heart. And as you call out to Him, as believer, we trust and walk in the center of His will. He will not fail. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We can trust in Him. Let's close, please, in prayer. Father, we ask tonight as we have tried to take this Word and show the truth of it, O Lord, the Holy Spirit will do what we cannot do and You will write it on every heart. Encourage us as Your servants. Help us to walk in the center of Your perfect will. And dear Lord, Save precious souls tonight, we ask. Hear us now as we take some time and spend some time singing and worshiping together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's sing number 586. 586. We'll ask the instruments, please, to play through uh, the uh, core, the hymn, the first line, and then uh, we will uh, stand to sing. And then if you're able to remain for our time of singing, please feel free, do so. Just remain in your seat. If you have to go, we understand. Please feel free to leave during the time of the singing of this hymn. Standing, please, as we worship. Mm -hmm. 